pray with me and please pray for me. Gracious Lord, we want your Spirit to be within us, to melt us and mold us, to fill us and to use us. As we hear your Word, as we contemplate what it means and what you're trying to tell us, we ask your blessing in your presence. May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Who knows what is in three days? Ash Wednesday, and, and I heard it too, Lent. Ash Wednesday and Lent. Who knows what those are? A couple hands, right? It's, uh, it's something we do, um, right? And anyone know what Tuesday is? Fat Tuesday. They're celebrating that a little differently in New Orleans than we're going to celebrate it. But the idea is we start a fast on Wednesday. So on Tuesday, we fill up and we eat and we enjoy and splurge in preparation. Um, I don't know if that's the healthiest way to do it, but some people do that and, you know, okay. (laughs) We think about this time in preparation for Lent. And Lent is more than something in your pocket, all right? Lent is a time for examination. Thank you for it. All right, thanks. It is a time of examination, the Lenten season. Uh, I like to think of it as reorientation, or another word for it is repentance. Or yet another one is a renewal of faith. And we are preparing for Easter. We're already preparing for Easter. Can you believe that? It's coming. Uh, Our goal is to emerge from this time from Lent to Easter, to emerge from that as we praise the resurrection, the the emergence of Jesus from the tomb, we are invited to emerge as well as something different, as someone different, somewhere different. And so we have this time to prepare. So I could have waited till Ash Wednesday, but you're supposed to fast on Wednesday. So instead of hitting you with it that evening, I thought I'd give you a few days notice. And that's why you have your homework assignments in your hands. And it's supposed to be hard. Um, That's the point of Lent, so it's okay if it's a little hard. But we are looking to what in our life needs to die, because we all have something, don't we? Or if you're like me, you have many things that need to die. Uh, I am being denied life because of the things in my life that I carry that bring death. And it's time to put those things on the cross. That's what Jesus died for. So we're going to prepare. It's it's a pretty heavy task, so we're going to take some time. Um, We're preparing now for our eventual physical death in anticipation of our eventual physical resurrection. Human mortality rate is 100%, folks. And uh, take heart. We have a Savior, don't we? It's good news. That doesn't fill you with a little bit of energy and joy. I really don't know what will. But uh, we, to talk about Easter, we're going to talk about transfiguration and this very strange scene. And if you don't think it's weird, you didn't really hear the story, okay? It's very strange. Um, and we're going to talk about three things with transfiguration. We're going to look at how the Gospel of Matthew presents the transfiguration, uh, how it's given to us. We're going to understand how that whole event changes everything, right? And then we're going to plan for Lent, So you're going to have plenty of opportunity. I'm going to explain some stuff to you. You'll be ready for Lent. You with me? Okay. Matthew 16. It's one chapter prior to our reading today. 
Uh, it's about the sign of what is happening with Jesus. The first part of the, the gospel is, who is Jesus? We know because we've heard the story a few times. But the first-time readers have been asking themselves, reading about this strange birth and story and teaching and miracles, and who exactly is this Jesus? And Jesus asks his disciples in chapter 16, who do people say I am? And they respond with some various answers. And then he finally says, who do you say I am? And Peter responds. Peter, Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus then tells them that he's going to go to Jerusalem to suffer. He's going to be handed over, he's going to be killed, and he's going to rise again, which is completely opposite of what Peter meant when he said, you're the Messiah, the Son of God, because the Messiah, Son of God, comes to conquer. And Jesus says, I'm going to suffer. Jesus is declared as the Messiah, the hope of all hopes, and then immediately tells them of his death. It's a strange story. We are to understand the hope as connected to the cross. The cross is connected to the hope, and we're to understand that connection through the way the transfiguration is told. So are you ready? This is pretty cool. It's as if the gospel writer had some help. Okay? Um, Matthew 26, okay, this is, this is 10, 9, 10 chapters later, tells of the preparation for crucifixion. So we're going to compare a crucifixion and transfiguration, okay? So in preparation for the crucifixion, Jesus takes three people to the garden to pray. Who does he take? Do you remember? Peter, James, and John. Who does Jesus take up the mountain for the transfiguration? Peter, James, and John. Interesting. It's the first time these three are mentioned together as some sort of inner circle, and it's this inner circle that goes up on the mountain for Jesus to pray. It's this inner circle that goes up the hill uh, at the garden to hear Jesus pray later. All right, so we go to Matthew 27, and we have the actual crucifixion of Jesus. The transfiguration takes place on a high mountain. The crucifixion on a hill, right? On the mountain, Jesus is revealed in glory white, shining. On the hill, Jesus is revealed in shame of the cross. On the mountain, Jesus shining, his white, his clothes are glowing. On the hill, he is stripped of his clothes and they're being gambled on by the guards nearby. On the mountain, he's flanked by Moses and Elijah. On the hill, he's flanked by bandits. On the mountain, there is a bright cloud illuminating the scene from which the voice of God speaks. On the hill, there's darkness that covers the land, earthquakes, lightning. On the mountain, P Peter calls out the splendor of the moment. He knows what's going on. On the hill, Peter's nowhere to be found. He's hiding in shame because he denied Christ. On the mountain, a voice from God declares this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. On the hill, it's a pagan Roman soldier that says, surely this man was a son of God. These scenes are meant to be seen next to each other. Not just because it's neat, but because the hope that we see in the transfiguration is to be connected to the suffering on the cross. They are two stories that go together. One speaks of the other. And for a people expecting a Messiah to be the conqueror, you have to tell the story this way for them to understand it. 
and we still need to hear it. Disciples, they declare faith in, in Jesus, the scene before, but I wonder if they really, they were 100%. How many of you are 100%, if you're honest, well, I won't have you raise your hand, are 100% you're in on this. Jesus is Lord, 100%. There are no doubts. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. I'm, I mean, you raise your hand, that's great, but you don't have to raise your hand because some of you are like, well, I think so, right? I mean, I'm, I want to believe, but walking up that mountain, I, I bet the disciples They'd said it, and if you don't know the story, Jesus or uh, Peter says, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, and then immediately, a few verses later, Jesus is calling him Satan, telling him to get behind him because Peter doesn't have the right idea of what's supposed to be happening here. So they're walking up the mountain. I wonder what was going through Peter's head. I don't know. But I know as, as they have their doubts and as we have ours, to witness that scene, to hear a voice from a cloud and shining and Elijah and Moses and all this taken in and to hear a voice boom, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. I bet their doubts, they weren't what they were thinking about on the way back down that mountain. I bet that changed everything. And we know it did because what happens when they hear the voice proclaiming him as the son of God? They fell to their face, didn't they? In awe. Now, They had just said Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. Why does the heavenly voice declaring it change anything? Maybe they weren't. Maybe they said it. They wanted to believe it. But to hear God proclaim it, your friend, your teacher you've been walking with for a while, you know, the one that you've told some jokes maybe in front of, maybe the guy that you've been thinking, well, if he is the Messiah, I'm going to sit at his right or I'm going to sit at his left or I'm better than these folks and you're having these conversations and now you find out that the man you've been following is actually the Son of God proclaimed by a cloud of light, I'd be on the floor too. How do I stand up in the presence of this man the same? But what does Jesus do? If you remember the scripture, he walks and he touches them and he says, get up, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am God with you, but I am God for you. Don't be afraid. So they stood up. They may have gone up with some confidence in who Jesus is, maybe not quite understanding, maybe not quite grasping all that he'd been teaching them, maybe not quite sure what was going on. But I imagine they were walking down and having seen what they saw, that bit of confusion, that failure to fully grasp, that uncertainty they'd gone up with, it didn't matter anymore. They knew who Jesus was, and they were never going to be the same. So how, if you're Peter and James and John, if you're you're in the church today and I believe this story, how do you tell people this story to get other people to believe it? I mean, if you're Peter, you know, Jesus says on the way down, don't tell anybody until after the human one rises, okay? Could you imagine Peter trying to tell somebody, guess what happened on Thursday night, right? Is anyone going to believe this story? I mean, you just have to invite them to believe and hope that they're seeing enough in you to convince them because it's a strange story, an unbelievable story, and there's all sorts of biblical scholarship to tell you how it didn't really happen, but we know better. I hope we do. And if you don't, be honest about that. That's okay. You will. But how frustrating would it be to try to tell somebody and then not believe you? When you've seen this, I mean, we get excited about finding a front row parking at at Target, right? We want to tell someone about it. You've seen this. How do you tell someone this? 
it seems like Jesus, after they'd had this moment and going back down saying, don't tell anybody, he was kind of putting them back into confusion a bit. Why would we want to tell Jesus? Why don't you, why don't you just glow for everybody and everyone will follow you and believe what is going on? He's trying to get them to understand, I'm a Messiah, but I'm, I'm here to suffer. This is glory, but there's a cross. From transfiguration to death and resurrection. Is your head spinning yet? Do you believe the story truly? So let's talk about Lent. We're approaching the Easter season. It's the greatest victory we'll ever know, by the way. The cure to the human mortality, 100% rate. And uh, Jesus conquers death and resurrects. All of creation bursts forth in, in, a, in a movement of rebirth from that tomb. And it's been happening for 2,000 years, and it will continue to happen until God fulfills it all. Amen? So we're going to prepare for this through Lent. We're going to prepare for our own emergence, our own rebirth in ways. So traditionally, here's how Lent works, if you don't know. Lent works, there's a 46-day period of time from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday, and we fast for 40 of those 46 days. Does anyone know what day you get off? Sunday, right? You fast from your fast on Sunday. So you'll have 40 days, which parallels Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. Um, And you're going to fast from something not bad. Don't fast from something bad because you're going to fast from your fast. So that doesn't mean you want to do something bad on Sunday. Fast from something you normally enjoy, something day to day. Maybe coffee, and I'm still wrestling if I could do that. Maybe it's chocolate or soda or who you know. What is it that you do day to day that you're going to choose to take a break from? You can have as much as you want on Sunday. You can have a fat Sunday every week. But, uh, but something that you're going to say no to through the week. A consistent temptation for you to remind you to prepare for the cross. And we're going to suffer in just the tiniest little way. It may feel like suffering some days, but in comparison to the cross, it's just a little bit. So over the next few days, you have your papers. I want you to fill it in to consider what you will fast from. And I invite you all to do it and all to commit to the 40 days. And we'll celebrate on Sunday. Everyone's going to be happy and caffeinated and ready to roll, and that's okay. We'll be good because we have that Sunday as a hope. That's the point, a hope. So we're going to remember the transfiguration as we look ahead to the cross. And that's what the gospel writer wants you to do. We have Jesus in all this glory and splendor and power and wonder, and immediately he steps down that mountain to head to Jerusalem to die, what he just told them before this mountain scene was going to happen. So we have this, and as the disciple moving forward, you always have the mountaintop experience that'll take you through whatever it is that comes. So abstaining from the things you decide to abstain from, it's, it's hard. It's a simple fast. Uh, if it makes you feel better, Jesus fasted for 40 days and nights straight from food. We're going to read about that, in, in a, I think, next week. So if you think, think about this. If you can't, if I can't, stop drinking coffee, how am I going to handle the world? How am I going to handle the real tests? 
If Jesus can go 40 days and nights without food, do you see how maybe Jesus could do some of the things Jesus did and withstand that temptation? I mean, he was famished, and then the first temptation we find is what? Turn that stone to bread. The devil says, no one's looking, Jesus. You're hungry. You can do it. Just one stone. Turn it to bread. That'll be harder than any temptation. Yeah, it'll be harder than any temptation I face for coffee. Man, I guess I'm giving up coffee now, aren't I? Jesus began his march, and we're going to begin ours too. We're going to walk with Jesus to Jerusalem over the Lenten season. That's going to be our theme, and we're going to be reminded of it. And as Jesus walks, we're invited to follow, and I invite you to follow as well, to walk through the suffering into the life beyond our comprehension, life abundantly, fully, eternally, how the Scriptures describe it. Are you ready? We're ready for the life, right? We just got to get through the days between. So we're going to spend the next few days. I want you to pray and prepare for 40 days. This is serious. If you you choose something that you can't do, you're going to miss out on on the wonderful opportunity that this Lenten season can bring you. So don't say I'm going to give up food unless you really think you can go six days without food, which no way. But what will be a challenge, an actual challenge? What will put you in place to sustain daily temptation. Consider what you will do in these times of temptations to overcome your desire. you got to have a plan. Consider the journey of Jesus from the mountain to the hill as your inspiration and be reminded of Jesus as God with us and God for us. Allow the Spirit to enter into this preparation time And friends, let us walk up the mountain of Lent together, anticipating the full presence and splendor of Christ to be revealed through the cross and the resurrection. And let us know that we will never be the same. Please pray with me. Gracious Lord, you walked before us. The way is clear. It's doable. It's possible. You showed us. And you walked the road far, far harder than anyone we ever will. But for some of us, it's going to be pretty close. For some of us, it's difficult. The road ahead is going to be tough. But you're with us, and I thank you for your presence, that you don't promise us smooth sailing. You don't promise us. In fact, you you call us into a life where we carry a cross. As we consider what that means in the days ahead, we look up from our carrying, and we follow you as you've already done it. And we follow you knowing that beyond that cross lies resurrection into a life where we don't struggle anymore, where we're with you forevermore. So spur us on, inspire us, tempt us, sustain us, whatever it takes to get us there. We are ready to do anything and everything you ask for the next 40 days. Lord, we offer ourselves in this time up to you to be a blessing to you and the world around us. And we do all this through the power of the Holy Spirit that was given to us through the life, the obedience, the teaching of Jesus, our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.